share all these announcements because we knew we had a lot of things. And we don't mean to take away from our time in the Word of God. We don't mean to take away from your time of worship by sharing announcements. We do believe that it's very important that our church is informed and participating. The last thing we want to do is go to all this effort and to have a church family that doesn't respond because they wasn't informed. So I appreciate, again, each and every one of you being in service. I say this so often. I feel privileged to be able to share the Word of God with you today. Um, I'm going to tell you, be honest, I've had a little bit of time, you know, at the airport. I had a little bit of a layover, stuff like that, which means I got a little bit of time alone to watch life pass in front of me for a little while. And so many people going and, and everything. I was in the Denver airport for a couple of hours. And then, and then also the time alone, um, driving back in from, from Los Angeles with, uh, Sister, uh, with Alyssa, not Sister Sherry, and, uh, and her napping, you know, along the way. And so I got to to think and ponder, and um, there's a few things that I'm going to make some slight adjustments on. I, get to, I got to, uh, to think about preaching and style and different things, and I want to ask you to stand up with me today. We're not going to read a text right now. I'm going to explain that in just a, a moment, but um, we, I, I've always believed in this principle of standing in honor of the reading of the Word of God, but at the same time, I have found myself reading sometimes and then exhorting for five to seven, eight minutes before have you be seated, and so I'm kind of, so I'm going to draw back on that. I want to stand up every Sunday to recognize the scriptures, but at the same time, then I'm going to let you be seated before we read the text of scripture, and then I want to make a very, very important announcement today. It's hard for me to even say this, but I'm just going to tell you today. It's a big announcement. This is one of the biggest I've ever made, and that is I will be reading from the New King James Version <laughs> today, and I'm making a slight shift, and I prayed about this very diligently and the reason why the last two weeks as I preached, and I'm kind of, I have a King James Version trained mind, but the last two weeks, the text that I've chosen as I was reading those passages out loud, I had this thought in my mind, I thought it is difficult if you're not trained in that uh, vein of that style of writing and both reading, um, that it can be more difficult to convey and for you to understand the message. So uh, in private sometime, maybe on a Wednesday night, I'll tell you how come I settled at the New King James Version. Not that I will abandon in the incapacity of the King James in private devotion, but I still will, but I am going to, to, to angle this way a little bit. So those are just a couple of things. Uh, I knew that y'all would be shocked at this. And my heart is still slightly torn on the, the whole issue, but that's okay. Uh, so let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we are grateful to be in this house. And I can't tell you, Father, just how excited I am to be amongst God's people and to be able to share the word of God and to be able to, to sharpen, as the scripture says, iron sharpeneth iron. I pray today the things that are said and done by the reading of the word of God and the exhortation of the word of God will sharpen the faith of the listener today, God. Thank you for your word. We celebrate the word of God. And when we do read it here in just a few minutes, God, and then especially towards the end of the message, I pray that as it is read audibly, it's being written on the tablet of the heart today, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. And you can be seated today. And before I read a text, I want to share with you just a little thought that I got in my mind. And just you could almost... Um, you can almost write the, the sentence with a blank first, and then I'll give you the text that will connect to it here in just a moment. But this is actually what I'm going to be preaching about. This is the lead-in to my message, and it's, it doesn't take much. I want you to think about that for just a moment. It doesn't take much. And there's a lot of things that you could add to that. It doesn't take much for the Razorbacks to lose. You could just <laughs> say that. <laughs> there's a lot of things that go beyond um, 
that could be there. But I want to share with you what was on my heart as I contemplated from this thought. And I'll share with you how this thought got inside my heart, my spirit, in a personal experience here in a few moments. But there's something that I want to talk about, a hindering the work of the Spirit of God. Because we do value the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we thank God for the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that God does move by Spirit. We believe that when the Scripture says in the book of Genesis that the Spirit of God was moving upon the face of the deep. That God still moves amongst His children. We see in the book of Revelation that Christ was in the midst of the candlesticks. And that's a revelation to us that Jesus is in the midst of His church. How? By His Spirit. He still moves. And we, the Bible says no man can even come to the Father unless he be drawn by the Spirit of God. And the, as I recognize this, I also recognize that there are ways to hinder the Spirit of God from having a freedom among us. And there's a lot of different things that you and I could say, well, this would hinder God. Certainly our personal theology can hinder God. If you don't believe that God will move, He will not. Right? If you have not created the capacity in your own personal belief system that an invisible God that created all things by nothing still has the power to reveal Himself in our midst, this omniscient God can manifest Himself. His presence can be made known among us today. Then I'm sorry, then you won't experience His presence at the level that others will because your theology hindered Him from moving among us and moving in your own private life. One of the passages of Scripture is in 1 Thessalonians, Paul, in the fifth chapter, he said that we're not to despise prophesying, and he said, so therefore quench not the Spirit. And so when you think about that for a moment, and the New King James would say it, do not quench the Spirit. So don't quench the Spirit. That's more of a corporate setting when you think about it, because through what we do and through the motion and through how we can limit the Spirit of God, we can quench. That means to stop, to put out. And we don't want to be a church that does that. Now, it can happen. And then you can sometimes, even your own liturgy and even your own order and the things that you do when you intend, you have the right mindset and say, God, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, and we're going to go from this place to that place inside the flow of the Spirit and the service. And in doing so, sometimes we can quench the Spirit of the Lord. And we don't want to be found guilty. But I can be honest and say there have been times that we have. As Jay said a moment ago, we certainly are not a perfect church, and I'm certainly not a perfect pastor. And there have been times that my own life and my own mindset, I have quenched the Spirit. That's more in a corporate setting. But what led me to think about this verse, this thought that's on the screen in front of you, it doesn't take much, is another verse, not 1 Thessalonians 5, but Ephesians chapter number 4. And Ephesians chapter number 4, it's verse number 30. And that's what I'm going to read, and that's what's on the screen in front of you. And it says here, and do not... Grieve the Spirit of God. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And so, again, there's one thing to quench the Spirit. It's another thing to grieve the Spirit. And so, you and I today, we know that we possess the indwelling Holy Spirit. He said we are sealed until the day of redemption. So, individually, and certainly corporately, we invite the Holy Spirit to move among us. But individually, I've received of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit is joined with my spirit and declared me to be a child of God. And we are made alive through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit of God, the Bible reveals to us, can be grieved. And if you look up the word grieved there in the original languages, it means to be made sorrow or sorrowful, made sorry, or to be sorrowful. And you can even see various passages of Scripture that use the actual word, to be made sorry. It's the same word in the original language that's translated grieved here. 
And so the reality is, is that the Spirit of God who dwells on the inside of me, that there are some external things that could happen and even some internal things inside of me that can cause the Holy Spirit inside of me to be saddened and to be sorrowful. My personal conduct. If you were to put this in its context in verses 31 and 32, if you tie it to the personal conduct there, my personal conduct of corrupt words. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, those very things can grieve the Spirit of God within us. And so when I thought about this, I kind of made this analogy. You know what? I've discovered that it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for the Spirit of God within me to be grieved. And you say, well, Pastor Brown, why? Why is that? I'll tell you why. It's because God is holy. God is pure. And he is undefiled. And sometimes my life is carnal. And sometimes my personal conduct that's not yielded to the Spirit grieves the Spirit of God within me. And sometimes even myself being given over to fleshly appetites and desires. And so obviously with the title message like this, there has to be some type of personal account that I'm going to relate to you that I don't really like to do. I don't like to expose my own personal weaknesses. I know that there are sometimes people are like, they use themselves as an example. And I, and I know that there's some, some value in it. But sometimes, you know, some, some things i got to still work out in private. I'm not going to share with you everything that I'm dealing with. But as I had such a, a share, Alyssa and I had such a good trip and spent a lot of time sharing with each other, been able to listen to a sermon as we traveled and think about that, and then also a lot of worship music. But when I got back home and got a few things done around the house, Sister Sherry was, I was down in Benton, uh, seeing a little D-Clan, and uh, got some, some grandma time and all that. You know, I was, I was watching a video, and this little, this is just a three to four minute video, and it's a video that I've seen before. And you'd think that you wouldn't watch it twice. But the little video, though, came through scrolling Facebook. And I don't, I'm not big in Facebook. I, you don't hardly ever see me post. When I say that, maybe once a year. I do scroll it. My motive is to check on the church family. That's the motive. But see, inundated, we're inundated with wraparound things. And so this time of year, they're showing videos of people being scared, like people pulling pranks on people. Now, the reality is, Joe, some of that is stinking funny, okay? And so I wasn't necessarily just evil because I had watched somebody get scared. And some people are doing some wacky stuff out there, stuff that you might get away with in other places, but you wouldn't, not up here in the hill country, because, I mean, there are people that they are coming out of bathrooms, you know, they've been in the bathroom, and then here's a little person dressed as a nun with, like, this long hair, and this brother gets all freaked out, and he's climbing over the walls of the bathroom and all that. Now, I know in the hill country, we have too many people packing. And so I know that must be in some area where that's in those safe zones where that's going on, because you just wouldn't do that. I know you wouldn't do that in Shirley. I'm just telling you. You might get by with it. But at the same time, as I watch that, you know, I know not to turn the volume up because you know they're going to be filthing and fouling. So I know that. Well, then they're going to, it's not enough, so they're going to post the words below it. And they're not going to put all the words. They're going to omit a few of the letters. But enough that you know what type of filthing and fouling is being spoken of. And that three-minute video so grieved my spirit so grieved my spirit that I felt wretched before God. And my worship was hindered. And I, and I, and I smoked myself and I chastened myself and I, 
I felt, you know, I felt hindered in my worship before God, and I had to do what I would do to make sure that my mind was, you know, I went through a process. I made sure that I went to the Word of God and read the Word of God before I'd go to bed that night because I didn't want that to be the final thing that was on my consciousness before I went to sleep that night. And as I did so, though, you know, the Spirit of God was, as your spirit, when it's grieved, when your spirit who's joined with the Holy Spirit is grieved, the reality is this, my confidence in God is hindered. And my worship in God is greatly hindered. And here's the reality. I feel in that moment as if I'm unclean before the Lord. Now, you say, Pastor Brown, you don't, I, know, I know. I've been doing this a long time, church. I know that I can't let feelings dictate my faith. I know that. And I base my faith upon what God said, not what I did. Right? And I understand all that, but it doesn't take away... From the inside of me, the Spirit of God joined to my spirit being saddened because I couldn't make a better decision to put such foolishness into my mind and in my consciousness. And the reality is, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about our church during this time period, and I thought, the latter two or three Sundays, I've just been personally a little bit discouraged because it's felt to me like, and I know that's not a word you're supposed to use, F-E-L-T, that's usually to tell you a material, but we've allowed it to be a part of slang, and it's a lot of part of our language now, felt, that I have felt in my heart that our church has just been distracted during worship. Latter three weeks or so, Shane would probably, if we talked about it privately, say it's been a little bit of a struggle, it's been of a challenge. And I thought to myself, is it possible that our corporate worship is hindered because the Spirit of God is grieved? That the Spirit of God, is it because we as a fellowship, many of us, we come in here and the reality is we still got the filth of the flesh on us, we still got the fragrance of the world, and we have very little private devotion, and we have very little personal consecration, very little purging to at least as Pastor Brown, not to in any wise put myself on any type of pedestal, at least I know how to at least find that place of repentance and at least to say, Pastor Brown, don't take that to the final thoughts before you go to bed. And I could have some cleansing in my own heart and mind. And so, but I have to believe that the reality is that many of us have very little private devotion. We have very little consecration, very little purging and cleansing. And our corporate worship is often then a direct result of our private devotion. If you were in the sports world and days gone by like many of us was, the coach would say to this, say this to you. He'd say, we will play like we practice. And the reality is, if you want to be honest, the reason why there's a dullness in our worship service on a Sunday is because it's been dull in your private devotion all week. Because if you have agitated the Spirit of God and if you've been face-to-face, eyelash-to-eyelash with Jesus during personal devotion on Monday through Saturday, then Sunday's not a struggle. There's not, you're not waiting on the worship team to sing the right song for you to be able to worship, but you are inspired out of your private devotion to be able to gather together in corporate worship. Now, the reality is, I value private devotion and worship, but equally as much as I value private devotion and my private worship, I also value corporate worship. The psalmist David said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. There should be something inside of us that hastens to this house, that pulls us to come to this fellowship, to say, I'm going to, once again, like David, enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I'm going to enter his courts with praise. But I'm telling you, your spirit 
will be hindered and your spirit of praise will be limited when you've lived a carnal life, even as a believer, and you've allowed things that have hindered your worship before God. Let me go a little bit farther. I've shared with you to a degree my own personal preparation for Sunday. I mean, I've went into a part of my life that I don't even have to about, even which I don't hardly ever talk about anything related to the intimacy between Sister Sherry and I, but I even talk about that, hey, you know, I'm having to shake Sister Sherry off, saying, you know what, on Saturday, I've got to be focused. I've got to have the game face on here. I've got to be in the zone and get ready because I'm going to be preaching to the church family, and I want to be spiritually minded. And I've talked about even watching a, a family movie or something like that and, I, and, and, and guarding ourselves as a, as, a, as, a, as a young man with children. Now Sherry and I, without any children in our home, just making sure that, that I wouldn't carry that because the closer I get to Sunday, the more distance I want to put between the carnal things that can be distracting. So that I can, when I stand here, that I can stand here with a clear conscience and I can stand here with the fresh fragrance of God upon my life and an anointing. And I've shared that with you uh, personally, that some of the things that I do, such as getting up in the morning, taking a bath instead of a shower, because I try to follow the ritual bathing practices of the priesthood. And I also anoint my head with oil, as you see me do at the front. And I do that just symbolically. Not that there's any magic in it, not that there's anything super dynamically spiritual, but it's symbolic of what the priest of old did. But I want to remind you something today. I may be the pastor, but I'm not the only priest in this house. I may be the pastor of this assembly, but God's not limited you from his presence. He's opened his presence up to you, and you are a priest of God just like us pastors are. And you're ministers of the sanctuary, and you and I have access to his presence, and we're called to serve in his tabernacle. And as I was contemplating this and pondering it, here's my personal belief. That perhaps the greatest thing that contributes to grieving the Spirit of God in our generation to the common parishioner is the entertainment choices that are available to us today. I knew it would get real quiet in here today. That's all right, though. I'm preaching anyhow. You say, what do you mean by that is? It's because those are my personal choices. Yes, they are your personal choices. But Paul said, even though it's my personal choice, everything does not edify I may be able to do it, but it doesn't mean I should do it. And in days gone by, you had to go somewhere. You had to go there and go. All you got to do today is just sit alone in your easy chair with all the world's media available at your fingertips. Everything from scrolling Facebook like the preacher did to his three-minute video about people getting scared until his spirit got grieved until carnality at the farthest end of the spectrum can be made available to you. Media, movies, music, television, Facebook, cell phones, sports, newscasts, all available at our fingertips. And here's the reality. Many sincere believers go from watching television shows or movies that are filled with crude language, sexual scenes and nudity, violence, horror, demonic images filling their minds on a Saturday night. And then they come into church because they're genuinely born again, but the spirit inside them is grieved and that's why worship on the following day, you sit idly, unprovoked in your worship before God because the Spirit of God in you is grieved. And then we talked about we're going to honor those who are going to serve. And the reality is that sometimes many of us are still serving in ministry uh, even as we still have what we would call a carnal life and lifestyle. 
And I believe we're grieving the Spirit of God. And I thought about this in my studies, and you're going to understand in a little while where my studies led me to. It wasn't just in Ephesians chapter 4. But in my studies, I went back to a familiar passage of old because I was looking at the priesthood. We're going to close in a few moments with looking at the priesthood because I do believe God's called us all to serve in His tabernacle. And He's called us all to be worshipers and stand in the presence of a living God. God chose you to worship Him. God chose you and He made you a pillar in the house of God. And you have the privileged opportunity to be able to minister unto God through your worship, praise, and adoration before the Lord. There's a passage of Scripture that's kind of infamous in the Word of God. Right when Israel was learning how to worship God through the means of sacrifice and offering and an Aaronic priesthood, in the days immediately after the Exodus, as the children of Israel began the, walk, the wilderness journey, they haven't even had the failure yet that would keep them from entering the promised land. Moses has trained Aaron and his sons. Moses has set apart Aaron and his sons. Moses, or excuse me, Aaron had four sons that would be the original priests that would follow in the lineage of Aaron. And then we had the Levites. We talk about this on a regular basis. The Levites were given as gifts to the priesthood to help them in their ministry services. The tabernacle has been erected. The altar has been placed in the outer court and the brazen laver and the entrance into the holy place. And from there, the table of showbread. And from there, that you would have the golden lampstand. And from there, the incense offering against the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. Inside the most holy place was what's known you and I as the Ark of the Covenant. And it was there between the cherubims as the angelic wings of the, of the angel image that was on the Ark faced each other. God said, there's where I will abide. There's where my glory will be. The God that sat down on Mount Sinai has changed his location and he's seated in the holy place, the most holy place on the Ark of the Covenant. And the Bible says that all the men were given their instructions and there was a process of training and they started this process of worshiping God and honoring God. And then something happened that almost disrupted worship before it could even get off the ground. Two of Aaron's sons his eldest two by the name of Nadab and Abihu. And the Bible says that they offered strange fire before God. When they offered the strange fire before God, then the Bible says fire came out of heaven and slew the two priests that just a few weeks earlier had been dedicated to the service of God. And when this happened, it sent a horror throughout the, the tribes and especially Aaron, that was his two sons. And Moses said this to Aaron. He said, Aaron, don't mourn. Don't rip your clothes. Don't sit in sacrifice. Because if you do, then the wrath of God will burst out upon all of us. It's a difficult passage of Scripture. Theologians have argued about why and what happened. And the end result. And why this happened. And why a God that you and I know is a loving God, why would his wrath fall upon these two men so suddenly so quickly into their ministries and in the process many theologians have arrived at this conclusion is that the men were slain possibly because the strange fire that they offered before God didn't come from the place that God had told them to get the fire from now you say pastor what, what just let me clarify that for you inside the holy place was the golden altar 
The priest was to burn incense. That incense was worship. That incense was intercession. He was to burn incense on the golden altar twice daily. But he was to get the fire that the sweet-smelling fragrance of the incense would be burned on. He was to get that from the altar where the sacrifices were burned in the outer court. And that fire had not been lit by man. That fire had been lit by God. The first sacrifice that they placed on the brazen altar and put it on top of the wood, no man struck a match and lit it. They stood back and God accepted the sacrifice and lit the fire. And the exhortation to Israel was that the fire was to always be continually burning upon the altar. And they were to take of the coals of that fire that had been lit by the presence of God and they were to put the incense on it in the holy place. And these two men got their fire from some other place. You say, well, Pastor Brown, what, what, where's the tie into this? Immediately in that passage of Scripture, Moses gives Aaron instruction. And he said, now, first of all, he said, all those that are going to, I wrote it here. It's actually Leviticus 10 and number 3. Listen to it. It said, by all those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. Let me say that one more time because I think it's fallen on a dull ear in our culture today. Let me say it one more time. All those who come near me have to regard God as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Our God is a holy God today. And he's called us as his children to be ye holy, for I am holy, the scripture says. And so, but the wrath of God fell upon two men who chose to reject the commandment to get the fire off of the brazen altar and to put it on the golden altar and perhaps this is why their decision-making was skewered. In the 8th verse of the 10th chapter of Leviticus, Moses warns against bringing alcohol. Now, what does that mean? Why would you even bring that up, Pastor Brown? I'm bringing that because it's right here. It's possible that their private choices skewered their judgment, and then they brought strange fire to the presence of God, and they suffered for it. And it stands to us today as this mark that our private choices may cause us to come in here on a Sunday morning and offer strange fire before God that didn't come from the sacrifice, the sacrificial altar having been lit by the presence of God. When we enter in and we're filled with carnality and wickedness and our minds are infiltrated with far worse things than the video that I watched uh, a week ago on Tuesday or Wednesday, whenever it was, and we're robbing God of the glory, church family, that he so richly deserves. Let me tell you again today, God is holy. He is high, undefiled. You say, Pastor, I'm defi I know we have this treasure in an earthen vessel. But at the same time, church family, there is a call that the Spirit of God perhaps is going to begin to resound to the body of Christ again. And it's a call for holiness. It's a call from separation and sanctification. What is that? If I were to have a theological discussion with many of us in the church today, the majority of us would have no clue. The majority of the body of Christ today would have no clue of the subject of separation, sanctification, holiness. We might be able to look back into the archives of Pentecostalism, and what we would do, we would label it as legalism. That's what so many do today. Anytime you bring up the term sanctification, separation, and holiness, we say, well, that's just one of those churches that are taking away our own personal choices and trying to put their values and their beliefs on us. And, I'm, you know, and we do all that while we live in a carnal mindset, and we don't have any anointing of God upon our life, and we're offering strange fire before the Lord. And I hear the Spirit of God inside of me, and the Spirit of God speaking to me personally, whether He's 
speaks it to you or not, I cannot say. I can speak, but whether he speaks it to you, I can't say. But I can hear him speaking in my ears to me personally. Come out from among them and touch not the unclean thing. And I will be to you a God and you'll be my children. And then Paul said these words, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit and perfect holiness in the sight of God. That passage of Scripture is found in 2 Corinthians. Go on your own and read it later. 2 Corinthians 7, verse number 1, where Paul said, Having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves. I can't cleanse you. I can't make your mind up. I can't repent before you. I can't draw you out and put you in a place where you're going to begin to seek God more intimately and with separation in your life. But I want to challenge you today. today challenge your own heart. Draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. Expose the areas of your life. Be unashamed. Say, God, I ask you to help me in this and to be all that you've called me to be. Obviously today, I understand the theological ramifications. I know what to be sanctified means. It means to be set apart for God. And I know that I'm set apart through the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Not through my effort. I understand that today. I recognize it was said a moment ago in the book of Colossians, through the blood. Come on, somebody, through the blood. The blood of Jesus has sanctified his people and called us his. And you and I are consecrated and dedicated to God, but that does not mean that I don't have a part to play. And walking before God in true holiness and learning, we call it instantaneous sanctification and we call it progressive sanctification. Instantaneous meaning the moment that you believe, the moment that you trust in Jesus Christ and His redemptive blood on the cross, you are instantly set apart to God. I believe that with all my heart. But I also believe in what's called progressive sanctification, where from that day forward, I learned to walk before God. I learned to trust God. I learned to, what the, the things I used to do, I don't need to do anymore. And that there are some things in my life when God exposes to me and reveals these things to me that they're not healthy or good for my walk with God or my witness to others, then I make the conscious decision to change. And that's what I can't do for you. And I can't dictate your conscience. But I can challenge you as a pastor today. I hear the Spirit of God saying that it's easy. We have to be careful. It's easy if we're not careful to grieve the Spirit of the Lord. When the Spirit of God is grieved, then everything else is directly affected. Our lifestyle choices affect our entire being, spirit, soul, and body. And so before I close today, let me share with you a couple of thoughts. What about that language? Have you heard what Paul said? It was in 2 Corinthians 7 and 1. He said, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Think about that for a moment. Now, if you get in the nursing home one day, somebody may bathe you for you. But right now, you get in your own bathtub, don't you? And you cleanse your own self physically. But here Paul is talking about, he said, of things of the spirit and of things of the flesh. You cleanse yourselves. Think about that for a moment. He said, Pastor, you just told me I was made clean by the blood of Jesus. Yes. But now Paul is saying that you must take an active role in being set apart from that which is evil. Is that making sense in here today? Now, I, I'm going to say that you're not shouting back at me because... Not because they ain't preaching right, but because you're responding and you're meditating and pondering. That's, and it's a heaviness and it's a moment. I'm telling you, church family, we're limiting God because of our carnal lifestyles. He said, having therefore these promises. There's so much more in God. 
so many more things that could happen among us if we as a church family and you as an individual begin to set your heart to cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. Did you hear that? All filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the sight of God. That exhortation, cleanse ourselves, is actually Paul taking the words of ancient Israel during the days of the priesthood. Because that very first time they were set apart, they were set apart before God, and they were consecrated before God. But any other time after that, most of the time the wording was this, sanctify yourself. I want you to think, get that in your mind as I prepare to close with this, and then we'll take you back to the Word of God in a moment. I want you to think about the days of ancient Israel, whether it be the tabernacle that was in the wilderness or the temple that Solomon built. And I want you to think about the priesthood and the Levite. And I want you to think about their garments, whatever visual image that you have in your mind of a holy, sanctified, set-apart priesthood that had been consecrated by anointing oil. He had been sprinkled with both blood and water. He had had the attire placed upon him of the priesthood and of the Levite. And he had access to the presence of God. And he went about doing his service. But to know this, though, that that which was set apart as holy before God could still yet become unclean. It could become unclean through different ways. If, you touch, if a priest touched a dead body, it could be unclean. If a priest touched a dead thing, not just a body, it could be unclean. I mean, you know, there's a lot of dead things around us. I mean, you know, when I was sitting there spending three minutes watching people get scared out of their minds, and I was finding a little humor in it. I know it was kind of wickedly evil, just that. I was finding humor in people stumbling, trying to get out of the bathroom. But nonetheless, beyond that, how, how many of you know that, that can, that's a dead thing? Now, I'm saying that, I'm, I don't have to share this, but I'm just trying, it's a dead thing. There's no life in it. There's no, there's no goodness and joy and peace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so a priest could become ceremoniously unclean about touching a dead body or even sexual activity or the drinking of wine before or while he ministered. Because the priests had been consecrated by the sprinkling of blood and the anointing of oil, but the filthiness of the flesh could still cause him to be unclean. And when he became unclean in that sense, he was still a priest, but he needed to be reconsecrated to God. And to be reconsecrated, you know what he had to do? He had to be sprinkled with water. He had to be sprinkled with water, and sometimes even re-anointed with oil, and he would wash in water, and he would change his clothes. And he couldn't re-enter into the service of God of his worship until sundown or in certain situations seven days before he could re-enter into the sanctuary. And let's see if we can make this and build this more fully. Remember God at Mount Sinai with the children of Israel? He told Israel, before God comes down, you need to wash your clothes, consecrate yourselves, and don't come near each other sexually. And then David, remember this, when David wept and cried and begged God to heal his child for seven days, laying on the dirt floor of, of, of his home, and he begged God, and then the child died. Remember what David did? He got up out of the ground, got up with the dust, and the Bible says that he changed his clothes, and he washed his face, and he anointed his head, and then he went into the presence of God, and he worshiped God. And in doing so, he taught us the principle about consecrating ourselves. And you say, well, pastor, how do I cleanse myself? Well, it starts with repentance. Thank God for repentance. Repentance is the gift of God. Repentance is the part that God said, I will allow you to read and connect with me, but you got to humble yourself. Repentance is when you change your mind. Sorrow is a part of it. Godly sorrow leads you to repentance. We live in the generation where people don't want to hear anything 
that they say is condemning or condescending or it makes them feel sad or sorry. But there are times when you've sinned, if you're truly born again, the Spirit of God within you will cause you to feel sorry before the Lord. And it will lead you to repentance. And you'll feel grieved and saddened that you've hurt the heart of this holy God through your carnal lifestyle. And you say, Pastor, what I do in that moment, you repent before the Lord. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all our sin and to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. Thank God today that as I confess my sins, then the Lord receives me. We ask for strength in that moment, and we ask for resolve. We pray for determination, and we say, God, strengthen me to not touch the unclean thing. And one of the most important things I believe in that moment of time of your profession and confession is you have to begin to renew your mind by the promises of God. How many believe in the, the gift of the mystery of the washing of water by the word? Where that mind that was stayed, and you saw so many images that filled your mind with unbelief, fear, and, or the wickedness of this world, but then thank God for the word of God. Thank God that you get to be able to get alone. And so that night on Wednesday night when my heart was smitten and I repented and I made my profession and my confession and I was humble before the Lord, I made sure that I spent some time in the word of God that night so that I could say, God, I want to pull down every image that's in my mind. I want to pull down every stronghold that's in my mind and I want my mind to be renewed by the word of God. And so there's something powerful, church, and that's the cleansing agent. That's the element that God uses to cleanse your mind so that your mind can think upon the good things of God. And so, church family, today as I take you to this final passage in closing, let's go to the book of 2 Chronicles. I don't know how long I'm preaching. I'm not going to look. So I don't want to discourage myself. But it's life group, so tonight this is it. 2 Chronicles chapter number 29. I want you to see this with me. And let's see if we can put this in its right place as we get ready to close this message. Does anybody here today hear the voice of the Spirit of God inside your own heart? I didn't say in my voice, but in your own heart, where God is challenging. God is challenging us and revealing to us it doesn't take much because God is holy. It doesn't take much to grieve His Spirit. It doesn't take much in your own heart and life. 2 Chronicles chapter 29 is an interesting time in the nation of Judah, where the capital of Jerusalem Divided kingdom, Hezekiah, is now on the throne, 25 years of age. The Bible talks about his reign as this, is that he did that which was right in the sight of God. Are y'all out there today? That we're about to read a few verses of Scripture. We're just going to glean it, glean it quickly. We're just going to glean over them. But I want you to see this mental image. I want you to have this mental image as I get ready to lead you to worship in a few moments of time. Because we're going to close with a worship moment for each and every one of us in this sanctuary today. And I want you to see, and this was a time when there had been apostasy in the land and the ramifications of bell worship are still being felt throughout the nation of, uh, of Judah at that particular time. And Hezekiah comes and he's a reformer and he goes about the process of ridding the land of bell worship and, of, and in the high places and all the filth. But there's something else that needs to be done. The temple, the doors of the temple have been closed. The priesthood has fled to the field. Nobody's worshiping God. There's no smoke on the altar. There's no blood being applied. There's no incense being burned in the golden uh, lampstand inside the holy place. And this grieves the heart of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah calls the priesthood out of the fields where they have fled in, in order to provide for their families. And he said, it's up to you. And we're going to begin this reading this in, in the, the third verse. We can just pick it up there of Second Chronicles chapter number 29. 
And it says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and he repaired them. And look what he did. He brought in the priests and the Levites, and he gathered them in the east square. And look what he said. Hear me, Levites. Now sanctify yourselves. Before you teach that Sunday school class, sanctify yourself. Before you stand out there and greet and smile and welcome somebody into this house, sanctify yourself. But God forbid, before you walk on this platform and start worshiping and leading people into worship, then sanctify yourself. Get the filth of the world out of your mind. Come on, somebody. Sanctify yourself. Be holy. God said, I'm holy and I'm looking for a people who will be holy and take upon my nature. Sanctify yourself. Carry out of the rubbish, he said, from the holy place. The fathers have trespassed, trespassed, have done evil in the eyes of God. Verse 7, they've shut up the doors of the vestibule. They put out the lamps. They've not burned incense. If nobody's burning incense, you know what that means? Nobody's praying. You know why we don't pray? You know why we don't worship? Because we're so carnal. And our spirit is grieved. And we're hindered because of our lifestyle choices. And I'm preaching it whether you want to hear it or not today. But I can tell you God wants to do more among us than we have ever thought previously. God wants to do more, but we're going to have to come out from among them. My cry today is before God pour your spirit out, my cry today is God let us pour ourselves out in humility and brokenness and repentance to get the filth of the world out of our lives, to be holy before God. I want the anointing of God. I don't want just entertainment ability. I don't want just oratorical ability. I want to be able to stand in front of people and I've got something called a sacred anointing, a fresh anointing upon my life, but it's not coming if I'm carnally minded. It's not coming if I'm caught in the world, one foot in the world and the other foot in the church. But if we will separate ourselves from a filthy and carnal generation, the anointing of God can come upon us and then we can go out into the world and do the works that Jesus has called us to do. To be a bride and a shining light filled with the glory and the power of God. Hezekiah said, let's get this house of God set back up. They've shut up the doors. Verse 7. The wrath of the Lord has fallen upon Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 8. Because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword. In verse number 10, he said, now is my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God. Look at verse number 11. My sons, do not be negligent now. For the Lord has, can you hear him today? He's talking to you. The Lord's chosen you. Did you hear that? That the Lord's chosen you. That's why you were compelled to come here today. That's why you got up and everything around you said, don't go, but you said, I'm going anyhow. It's because you were chosen by God and there was a compulsion within you that said, I've got to be in his presence. God's chosen you to worship and to serve him and to burn incense in the presence of God and to be able to worship the Lord in the presence of Almighty God. Let's read the 15th and the 16th verse of that same chapter. And they gathered their brethren. Look what they did. And they sanctified themselves. Look at that word. Don't be afraid of the word sanctification or sanctified or sanctify. They set apart themselves. They consecrated themselves. They reconsecrated themselves. And they went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord to cleanse the house of the Lord. And the priests went into the inner part of the house. And they brought out all the junk. I mean, you know, we need to go inside here and bring out all the junk. Bring out all the junk and get it out of the way and carry it to the brook Kidron. And then if we were to, I'm going to skip this part here, verses 20 through 25, deal with how worship is renewed 
But in verse number 26, we're going to pick it up and we'll read about five verses and we're going to jump to chapter 30 and read just a few verses and close right there by asking you to join me at the altar in just a few short minutes just to worship and rededicate and recommit ourselves to God. But look at this passage in verses 26 through 31. It says, The Levites stood with the instruments of David. The worship team was gathered. They were ready. Hezekiah commanded them to bring offerings. And verse 28, all the assembly began. What would happen, chain, around here? What would happen if all the assembly began to worship? It's the end result of everybody being sanctified in the presence of God. The singers sang, the trumpeters sounded, and all this continued. And when they had finished offering, the king and all who were present bowed and worshiped. Don't tell me God's presence is not manifested corporately. King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praises unto God. And they sang praises with gladness and they bowed their heads and they worshiped. And then Hezekiah spoke to them. This is the king. The king is talking to you today. No, not your pastor. No, the king Jesus is talking to you today. And he said, now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near and bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings. And as many as were of, look at this, of a willing heart brought burnt offerings unto God. And this was a powerful thing, and they dedicated themselves to God. Verse 36, Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced that God had prepared the people since the events took place so suddenly. And we're going to close in just a second. I'm going to ask the worship team to begin to make their way up here. But in the 30th, ver- 30th chapter, and I'm going to surmise some of this for the sake of time, but let me just tell you real quickly what, what took place. That was such a moment of the rededication of the house of God that Hezekiah was compelled to say, you know what, we're going to have to have a communion service. We're going to have to have Passover. We hadn't had Passover in the days of Israel in a long, long time. And so they said, we're going to bring our, our sacrificial offering of the Passover lamb. And that's what chapter 30 is about, not just an ordinary worship service, but it's about a Passover worship service. And in verse 15, just pick it up with me. We're going to conclude in just reading a few more verses at verse number 15. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the month. The priests and the Levites were ashamed. What does that mean? What was, they were ashamed. It means they were broken before God. They were humbled before God. They had sanctified themselves. They felt that compulsion. They felt that conviction. They felt the fact that they were not set apart for God. They had been uh, with the filth of this world, and they were ashamed before God. And so what did they do? They consecrated themselves. They sanctified themselves. And when they did, then they brought the offerings into the house of God. And they stood in their place, and they began to worship. In verse number 17, there were many in the assembly. Look at this. And this could be the case today. And this is why this is such an important verse, and don't let me overlook this, and you don't overlook this. There were many in the assembly who had not sanctified themselves. Therefore, the Levites had charge of the slaughter of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. Because there was a multitude of the people, and that they ate the Passover, look at this, verse 18, contrary to what was written. But Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord provide atonement for everyone who prepares his heart to seek God, though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary. What a powerful revelation, Jace of Grace, right there. Where God said, yeah, you haven't had the time to sanctify yourself according to the law, but Hezekiah prayed for you. Shane said a moment ago, we have an advocate with the Father. 1 John 2 and 1 says this, My little children, I write these things unto you that you sin not. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
These things are written so that we won't sin. But if we have sin, let me tell you today, Jesus stands as an advocate between you and the Father today. And He still compels you to worship. He still compels you to say, well, Pastor, I hadn't had time to read the Word. I hadn't had time to really do all that. But at least start somewhere. Start in your heart and say, God, I just feel the Holy Spirit saying, come out. Do something different. Set apart in my life before the Lord. Look at this, and we're going to close at the very last two verses of this passage. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests, the Levites, arose and blessed the people. And their voice was heard. Look at this. And their prayer. What would happen? What would happen, church family, if our prayer stopped bouncing back off of the ceiling? And I know this is using carnal terms to teach us spiritual truths. But what would happen if you had the confidence that when you called upon the name of the Lord, that your prayer went up into his holy dwelling place? What a life-changing moment would be for you and your family and how you would handle yourself differently. And all this is hinging upon you and I making better decisions with the freedoms that we have in Christ. And listening for the Holy Spirit who is within us, whether or not we are grieving the Spirit. And I chose to title this message this way. It doesn't take much. One three-minute video, sitting there just resting from a 17-hour, 25-hour drive, caused my spirit to be all grieved inside me. And my confidence and my worship was interrupted before God. And the only thing I could do was just to humble myself in repentance, even though I've been there many times before. I don't want you to think I'm saying, well, that was the first time in my whole life I've ever had. No, I've had many moments like that, unfortunately. And I found God to always be gracious, merciful. But I hear His voice saying, come out today, come out. And I want to challenge you today. Do you hear God calling you to a deeper place? Somebody said it earlier, eyelash to eyelash. Do you hear that place? Do you hear God saying, I want to know you and I want you to know me in a way that you have never known me previously. But all that junk sits between you and God in the communion and the depth of your relationship. And I was thinking about how it ended this message. And I'm going to ask you to stand up. My worship team, I brought them back up on the stage because I want them to lead us in worship just because it's a part of worship. It's just a part of worship. You know, and I come to this place every time, and sometimes I'm so focused on the church that I don't think about that there might be a, somebody who doesn't even know the Lord among us or somebody that maybe knew the Lord, but you just kind of drifted away from God. But the whole message is just about reconciliation with Christ and communion with the Father through Jesus and knowing Him. And I've already told you that if you've sinned, you have an advocate with the Father. But you've got to confess your sin. 1 John 1 and 9 says that if we have sinned, we confess our sin. And He forgives us and cleanses us. And you know what? I can't do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. And so I'm going to ask you just right where you're at. You can make an altar right where you are. But I'm telling you, there is something powerful that happens when you move forward. Something powerful takes place when you step forward and say, God, I'm just going to present myself to the Lord. The worship team's going to sing in just a moment, and they're just going to worship. They're just going to be lost in their moment of worship. And this is not between me and you. This is between you and God. 
And you know what I thought about? And I said, you know what? I think I'll bring everybody forward and I'll anoint you with oil for rededication. But you know what? That would be the wrong thing to do. Because that's saying that I can consecrate you. And I can set you apart. I can't. But I can put this anointing oil right here, symbolic of rededication. And I can say, whoever wants to come by and just take that anointing oil and just consecrate yourself. That's the theme of the message. Sanctify yourself. Consecrate yourself. And if you have that at that moment, you say, God, I want to repent, then you repent. Or if you're at a place where it's not repentance, it's worship, then worship. But I want to challenge you today, church family. Let the Spirit of God call you and this church to a new place of holiness, sanctification in the presence of God. Father, I love you today. Church family, would you pray with me right now? God, I love you today, and I'm so grateful to be amongst the people of God. And in a moment of time, Father, I'm going to stand right here at this altar, and I'm going to worship. And I'm going to anoint my head with oil in a simple act of rededication and consecration to making better decisions and being purged of all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. And ask that you teach me how to perfect holiness in the sight of God. And I've not said this to condemn anyone. Father, I've said this to encourage our church family. We have these promises. Let's respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. And let's be worshipers. And God, our worship is sweet incense in your presence. And help us to not be like Nadab and Abihu. And offer strange fire in the sanctuary that didn't come from the altar of our heart. It was polluted by the contaminants of this world. But let us offer from the sincerity of repentance and humility and the value of love of what you've done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, now listen, I want to say this. I'm not closing this worship service. If you have to leave, I want to ask you to do something. You leave very respectfully. But this worship is about to extend right here. My, my call is this right here. I want to encourage you. It's a simple, there's nothing magical in that. I'm not, I, I hate to use that term. But it's anointing oil. It says something. It says I'm set apart. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. Be a worshiper. If you would, join me at the front. Let's worship God as the worship team leads us in song today.
this wonderful group of men and women. Father, I pray today has not been a message, Father, that would, would be seen as condescending or belittling in any capacity, but it would be a message of the, Father, it was said in here, he that hath ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And God, we don't want to just do these things because this is what someone else has said we need to do, but we want this to be born of a sincerity in our own hearts. If I can pray a prayer over my own life and couple it by joining my church family to us, God, take us deeper into the depth of your love, to the depth of your holiness, and the depth of who you are, that we can know you more intimately than ever before. God, we do pray that the choices that we make, the personal choices, God, that they would be determined by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, and we would have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God, not grieved within us. That's our prayer. We don't want to grieve your Spirit, God. Who will pray that with me right now? And just say, Father, I don't want to grieve your spirit. I don't want to make your, your spirit sad or sorrowful by the choices that I make, by the things that I say or do or listen to or participate in. God, just help me today to just walk before you in holiness. I think it's a fair prayer, church family. I think it's, a, I think it's the cry of the spirit. And I'm not trying to ask you to measure your walk against anybody else's. But in, the own, in your own personal communion with God, I just pray, I pray that you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit who leads us deeper. Father, I'm so thankful for this church family. I'm thankful for the Word of God. I believe we've been washed by the washing of water of the Word today. Our minds, our thoughts, God, our imaginations have been cleansed. God, we look forward to the next time that we come together. We look forward to our life groups tonight and our fellowship, God, this week. We just pray. The things that have been said and done in this service today brought glory to your name. And God, and they will be exercised in our lives each and every day this week. Let our devotions this week be different. Let them be more consistent, filled with praise, filled with humility. So that next Sunday, when we come back together corporately, we'll have been prepared beforehand, sanctified consecrated, re-consecrated in our worship before you. So I bless the people today in the name of Jesus and all God's children said amen and amen.